tonight with our first live guest telling a really big story. And it's a new article in New York Focus. It's part of our regular check-ins with New York Focus. Article's called How Unelected Local Officials Dole Out Wind and Solar Tax Breaks. No relation. County and municipal economic development agencies are crucial players in advancing New York's wind and solar expansion. However, some folks argue that supporting such projects falls outside of the purview of IDAs. When confronted with the prospect of New York's largest planned wind farm entering their community, lawyer and farmer Ginger Schroeder challenged her local industrial development agency by becoming a member of it. New York Focus reporter Julia Rock interviewed Ginger to explore the impact of industrial development agencies on the solar buildouts, and she joins us live on the phone right now. Welcome to the program, Julia. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm glad to be here. So I'm giving like a snapshot of one of the, the key folks that you talked to that kind of frames this story. But can you uh, give people an idea of, of what this is? There's a lot of details in the story. Can you give people an overview of what this is really about? Absolutely. So New York has more than 100 of these local agencies that I think a lot of people don't hear about until there's a big project looking for a tax break. But these uh, local industrial development agencies are tasked with bringing jobs and economic activity to towns and counties across the state. In, In recent years, as wind and solar companies are increasingly looking to build projects in New York. Um, The state is obviously seeking out these projects to comply with the emissions reductions mandate of the climate law. Wind and solar companies are approaching these local industrial development agencies and asking for tax breaks. And it's common for IDAs to seek out companies like Amazon warehouses, for example, like cheese companies, any type of company that might be able to bring economic activity to a county, it's common for an IDA to actually seek out and try to recruit those projects, incentivizing them with the prospect of tax breaks. But in the case of wind and solar, not every industrial development agency sees it as a desirable type of economic activity to to try to incentivize with tax breaks. And some IDAs have actually said, we're not willing to give property tax breaks at all to renewables. And then there's also individuals within the communities, even if the IDA might be open to it, individuals might not. And so in this example that that kind of kicks off the article, why did Ginger Schroeder join the Cattaraugus County IDA? And I don't know if I'm saying that county name right, but it's far western New York. You are. It's a good name for a county. Yeah. So I think sort of two things are happening, both with Schroeder and with a lot of people who have come out in opposition to the project. Sort of first, big picture, there has been a lot of zealous local opposition to wind and solar. You'll see it from the agricultural industry, which um, sort of sees it as a competition over land. You'll also see it from the tourist industry. So people concerned that wind turbines are, are going to create a visual blight. And so I think one thing that is happening is that people see the industrial development agencies as an avenue to block projects because the wind and solar developers say we need the tax breaks to build. This is never going to be a viable project if we have to pay full property taxes. So local opponents will say, fine, if I can convince the IDA not to offer 
a property tax break, that's the way to kill the project. I think the second thing, you know, you're seeing is that people do just in general have an opposition to giving big corporations property tax breaks, especially when they feel like I have to pay my property taxes. Why shouldn't this uh, multinational wind developer? And as a farmer, was Ginger Schroeder motivated primarily by that aspect of it that they feel that these companies should pay their taxes, the tax issue, like giving up on on those taxes, essentially? Or was it more just general opposition to wind or was it a little bit of both? My impression was that it was a little bit of both. I think in the case of this big wind project, the Alley Cat Wind Project, which stretches across a few counties, there were concerns that may or may not have been legitimate, that it could have a negative impact on property values. So I think that was a driving force of opposition. But yes, I think you're right that it was also this general feeling, I'm paying my property taxes. Why isn't Invenergy going to have to? And they are they calling, that's how you pronounce it, Alley Cat? It's pronounced Alley Cat. Yeah, I guess it was a, a cute term for the project, but it's because it goes through Allegheny County and Cataraugus County and Wyoming County, I think. Okay, I thought it was maybe Allegheny Mountains or Allegheny to Catskills. That's where the cat came from. But no, it's Cat Cataraugus. Uh. <laughs> Which makes sense. We think, okay, I just want to pause and then zoom out big picture. And I know you go to this level in the article as well, because right now here in mid-November 2023, it's only been 11 months since New York adopted its climate action plan. And that's a plan that took three years to develop. And it includes big goals that aren't that far off, like 100% zero emission electricity by 2040 and then net zero emissions statewide by 2050. And there's only so much that local governments can even do to help achieve those goals. And it sounds like here we are talking about taking away some of the very few tools that local governments already have. Yeah, you raise a good point, and I just want to emphasize it, which is that in order to comply with the state climate law, which New York is legally mandated to comply with, it needs to build renewables 10 times faster than it has been in recent years. So this is a very ambitious, I guess to say the least, mandate. But yeah, what, 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 what's happening is that wind and solar developers see a, a huge number of risks to their projects. There's a long permitting process. Inflation has really changed the finances of inflation and rising interest rates have changed the finances of these projects. And one thing that they're running up against quite a bit is local opposition. So I think there's a concern that if different industrial development agencies and more broadly different counties are taking very different approaches to wind and solar, it can gum up the process because developers are going to have to do a lot of extra legwork that they're probably going to have to do anyways to figure out what places are more friendly to renewables, what places might be more hostile, how they can negotiate with these local agencies to come up with an agreement that makes the project feasible. Yeah, I'm actually scanning your article right now. To, to I'm trying to find the term that I saw when you actually talk about, oh, uh, a primary risk to the, the, this is the opt-outs and differing approaches of different IDAs pose a primary risk to rapid wind and solar build-outs. Is that kind of what you were just describing for us? 
Exactly. And so that that term actually comes from a report that was done from the big lobbying group for renewable energy developers. That, it's a lobbying group for developers and there are environmental groups involved. So this is a group that's really concerned about speeding up the rate at which the state is building renewable energy. And what they basically said is like, it's very complicated and there's a lot of variation from place to place in terms of figuring out what the property tax burden is going to be, what types of payments you're going to have to negotiate, and the ability of localities to use this process to stop or really slow down a project is a huge risk, especially as the state has streamlined other parts of the permitting process and actually taken some control away from localities in in being able to slow down that permitting process. That's adjacent to what I was going to ask about next, because so far we've just been talking about stumbling blocks, essentially, or speed bumps at the local level, opposition, resistance at the local level in various forms. Is part of the response to this need to be state making things different, making the state coming up with solutions at the state level, whether that takes power away from localities or just gives these developers other options. Is that anything that anybody you talked to brought up? Totally. That was actually a big theme in the story. And industrial development agencies have been under a lot of scrutiny that's honestly been mostly negative from the state in recent years for being somewhat unscrupulous in handing out tax breaks and not often having a lot to show for the incentives they're offering companies. So something that I heard from a number of people, primarily actually watchdogs for industrial development agencies, both within the government and nonprofit watchdogs, was we really should not be leaving these hugely important decisions about renewable energy development and and project finances to IDAs, we should figure out how to set a standard system at the state level or just incentivize these projects properly at the state level so that they don't need to seek property tax abatements to be viable. It, It was a big theme for a number of reasons, both, again, because of concern about whether IDAs have been doing their jobs properly, but also generally concern about the urgency of this build-out, that this isn't really power that we should be leaving to these local agencies anyways. And we've been big picture looking at this now just to uh, zoom back in on the IDAs within the existing IDAs, whether they're being scrupulous or not. There's this debate as to whether or not agencies, projects like developing clean energy even fall under their purview. Can you just talk a little bit about where that debate is? Yeah, this is a great point. So a few years ago, the state did change the enabling statute. So basically the law that creates IDAs in order to include renewable energy development as one of sort of the appropriate missions of an IDA. And yet the IDAs also have this mandate to create jobs for the incentives that they're handing out. So it's often something that the state will criticize IDAs for is giving out millions of dollars and only having a job or two to show for it. In in the case of wind and solar, what state watchdogs have found is that there is very little permanent job creation from these projects. There are often a lot of construction jobs, but you don't see, you don't need people on the ground often to maintain a wind or solar farm. And so I think there's this legitimate question and the people in charge of these IDAs are in a bind where they're actually expected to have something to show in terms of permanent job creation 
for the tax breaks they're handing out. The state has, again, the state has said, we want you to be doing renewable energy development. So obviously there's this recognition that they might be handing out property tax incentives without getting jobs in exchange for them. But they're in a little bit of a bind because they are supposed to be creating these jobs. And with some of these developers coming from out of state and then also the manufacturing behind the solar panels and the windmills possibly being out of state, it's understandable that somebody might look at those uh, tax breaks and say that's essentially like taking local funds away twice. You're, you're taking these funds away to, to go somewhere else and nothing's coming back. No, that's a great point. And the last thing that's related is these are not typically projects that are providing power just to people locally. So it's a little bit tough to make the argument, oh, we will build the wind farm and then your energy bills will get cheaper because they they, they build these projects and then plug them into the grid and they provide energy for people across the state. So you're certainly right to suggest this isn't really something where you're seeing a lot of local economic benefit. Again, it's hugely important, essential for the state's climate goals for combating climate change, but it's not really clear that IDAs are in the right position, at least under their current mandates, to be doing the promotion of this type of project. Having done all this research and looked at this, what is on the horizon here? Is this, are, are these rumblings of IDAs not actually being made for this moment of not having as much of a place in modern times as they might have had? Maybe it's signaling something about the nature IDAs, or is this signaling that something else needs to be done to incentivize the development of renewables in New York State? Yeah, I think the thing that has been happening in recent years with renewable development in New York is the state is coming up against uh, some of these barriers or obstacles that might have been a little bit unexpected and trying to address them. And and so this is the type of issue where I have to imagine if the state is serious about its climate goals, which at least some state agencies and many state lawmakers are, they're going to have to pay attention to this and figure out a way to streamline the process or provide some more certainty to developers or perhaps give IDAs a little bit of less discretion. So I'm definitely curious to see in the upcoming legislative session and from state regulators what they're thinking about this. Okay, Julie, is there anything else you want to share with folks before we go? I just think the other dynamic that I found really fascinating reporting the story is that the state has, again, this climate mandate. It, It has no choice but to do everything it can to meet it. But it's certainly going to be felt unevenly across the state. And one thing that was really striking in this story is that I spoke with the head of the industrial development in Steuben County, who actually said it has been huge for our local schools, for our local towns to have more wind and solar development here than in any other county in New York. They have seen wind and solar as basically this huge injection of revenue into their tax bases, because what what they have are are wind and solar farms being built on land that previously was not producing very much revenue. So there have actually been a few towns in New York where property owners were able to stop paying property taxes almost altogether because of new revenue being brought in by wind and solar. So I think that while some places are seeing this as a tax giveaway, and it might be a tax giveaway because something else could be operating on the land that was producing more revenue, I think we're going to see that in other places, wind and solar are really sort of economic boons. 
We've been talking to New York Focus reporter Julia Rock. New York Focus is online at nysfocus.com. And uh, Julia's article is called How Unelected Local Officials Dole Out Wind and Solar Tax Breaks. You can find this article from New York Focus on our website, wjffradio.org. Julia, thank you so much for going over all this with us. Yeah, it was great to join you. Thanks for having me.